Well, this past week, uh, Jess and I had the privilege of taking the boys to uh, D.C. for Thanksgiving. And so, I don't know if you know this, but all the Smithsonian's are open on Thanksgiving Day, which is, which is kind of a plus. And uh, you're walking around, there's like no one there, which is, which is awesome. And so, one of, my fav- one of the boys' favorite places to go um, was the American History Museum, the, the Smithsonian American History Museum. And it was amazing because it was good for my boys to learn about history, but it was also enlightening to me as how old that they think I am by going through. Because every display, literally, they would ask me, Dad, is that what it was like when you were growing up? Was that what it was like when you were growing up? I'm like, no. How old do you? I've never churned butter. Why are you asking me this question? Like, I don't know how to shoot a muzzle loader. I don't know why you're, I mean, it's like, no, that's a 1950s car. Dad was not born then. You know, I have to keep going over and over. Uh, what? And so I said, okay, guys. Anything after 1979, which is 1980 and above, that's dad's realm, okay? Then I know what those things are. And so finally, uh, they're, they're reading things. They go, no, no, that's not when dad was born. So they started going. Through. So finally, Finn sees something that said 1981 or two or something like that. And he says, dad, something from the 1980s is over here. You've got to come look. And so I walk over, and lo and behold, I find my boy's standing next to an Apple II computer. It was one of the first uh, big-time computers that, uh, a- that Apple put out. And Gideon's also in a gang, apparently. Um, and, and, so, um, and so they show me this computer. They say, you know, Dad, do you remember this computer? And I'm like, actually, I do remember when that computer came out. And for those of you millennials in the room, that is not a small uh, monitor on top of a typewriter. That's the whole thing, okay? Um, and so they, uh, they began to ask me all these questions about it. I said, you know, guys, I saw one of those in my neighborhood. Like, uh, we had a neighbor that actually had one of these computers. And it was a rare thing because we didn't grow up with computers in our houses until way later on, like in, in the internet. And we didn't have any of that stuff. So we all, as a family, walked across the street to see what our neighbor had, this computer, and we just looked at it in their living room and just stared at it. Because we never seen a computer that was that small that could fit in someone's houses. Like computers, I've been to government offices on like child field trips, and it had like a computer, and it was like this big, massive like case, and you can put information, like Zoolander, like inside the computer, right? How does this fit inside the computer? And then I was able to show them from that point on, like old laptops and how big and massive those things were and how thick they were and how wide they were. And Finn asked, people would carry those around. I'm like, yeah, can you believe it? And then I had to explain to them, like, hey, it's super, like, it was super rare for people to have any of these in their houses. And now, we have, we're carrying computers now that have more information on them on our wrist than that. And, and, and they were able to just sit back and marvel at how all of these things happen to get where we are today. And so what I loved about the natural, the American History Museum was that not only they learned uh, just an unbelievable amount of information about U.S. history, but also it helped them to see how we got here. All the different things that took place for them to get here, to get what we have today. And so looking back gave them a a greater appreciation and value and a, a really sense of marvel 
at what is in front of us today. This is what the series of Advent is all about. It teaches us, it shows us stories about people who in the days of old, in the old covenant, in the Old Testament, that talked about and longed for the coming of Christ. And so now that we live on this side of the cross, now that we know that Christ was a real person, that he did live on this earth, that he did in fact die, that he did in fact resurrect from the grave, we look back into this vault of history in the Old Testament and we see all the things that God did in order to get us right here this morning, singing songs about Jesus, worshiping him, opening his word, responding to him. We'll have all those opportunities uh, this morning. And so as we look back, it should give us a sense of of wonder and awe before God. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, specifically through the lenses of the prophets of old. The prophets in the Bible really set the stage for Christ to come. Now, I don't know if you have tried to study the prophets. Perhaps you've looked at Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah or maybe even some of the minor prophets, the smaller prophets, um, Malachi. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi. Um, and you've tried to figure out what, what, are these, what do these things mean because they're difficult to understand without really knowing um, what their main objective is. The prophets would often speak to warn God's people of something that's about to happen or something that God was about to do. And so what is their main purpose? And my, what, my, I hope that you'll see this morning is their main purpose was to pro- proclaim the, the Christ that was to come. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so my hope is as we look at the prophets this morning that we would have we would be able to look at all scripture through the lenses of the good news of the gospel, and it will cause us to appreciate, love God and his word all the more. And so we'll start in Acts chapter 8 this morning. Acts chapter 8 is this story where a man is reading the prophets, and he's trying to understand desperately what these prophets are all about. Acts 8 begins with this, uh, it's a story where you, you find the man on the side of the road, he's reading the, he's reading the prophets, and God brings him a man named Philip. Philip was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and Philip was preaching the gospel with the other apostles in these cities. The, the, the gospel was to spread throughout uh, Jerusalem and through other cities, and so all these different cities are being reached by the gospel. Uh, ex- massive amounts of people are becoming followers of Christ, uh, being baptized, and then God, out of that, calls Philip to go to the desert. So you think about all the gospel, the gospel's been spreading, all these cities, and now it's going to the desert. Why would God send a man to the desert when all of these incredible things are happening in these cities in the name of Christ? Well, Acts chapter 8 will show us why. Acts 8, I'll pick up in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to a road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Luke is a writer. He's letting us know this is a desert place. This is the middle of nowhere. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem 
to worship and was, return, was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's very interesting what's taking place here. Here you find an Ethiopian who's going to the, the, the Jewish temple, and he wants to worship the Lord. He's returning, and now he's on the side of the road. His chariot's found on the side of the road. I don't know if his chariot broke down. Maybe it was a Ford. Maybe it was a Chevy. We don't know. We know it wasn't a Tundra. We know that. And so they're on the side of the road. They're try, he's trying to figure out uh, what God's word means. He's trying to read and understand what does this mean, and he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, you see the providence of God here. God is pulling out a man out of the city where the gospel is exploding, and he places him in the desert, and there, lo and behold, he finds a man on the side of the road reading his Bible. Can God make it more obvious? This is why you're here. Open your eyes. See what's happening around you. And then what happens next? Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him say, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? Hint, hint, you're the only one here. Maybe you should guide me, right? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading, if you also want to know about the providence of God, look at what he happens to be reading. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, this is an amazing story. You see the providence of God. God plucks out a man, draws him to the desert. Where am I gonna, who am I going to share the gospel with? A cactus, a lizard? No, there's a man on the side of the road. He's reading the Bible, and he's trying to figure out what a passage of Scripture means. And the place that he is in is actually Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, it actually talks about Christ. He's talking about who this, this lamb who would be slaughtered, and it would be, he would be humiliated. And, it would, and if you go on even in Isaiah 53, that the Jews, they didn't want to even look at him. His people wouldn't even want to look at him because of the torture that he would endure on the cross. And so this is a prophecy saying that this is about Christ. And so Isaiah is going, uh, uh, this eunuch is going, who is this person? Now a eunuch is an interesting person. This man was not a Jew, okay? He was an Ethiopian who worked with this queen named Candace. And an Ethiopian uh, a eunuch was someone who, I'll say it this way, was really dedicated to their call of duty, okay? Without getting too descriptive, if you want to know what a eunuch is, you can ask one of our other staff members or our other elders. My email is how at liveintegrity.org. You can ask me. We would love to fill you in on what a eunuch is. But basically, he's very dedicated to his call of duty. He's not loyal to Christ or God. He's not loyal to the Jews, he's, he's observing their worship and participating as an outsider. And so he's asking this question, what does this all mean? And so you go down 
in verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I asked, does this prophet say this is? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and listen to what Philip says. Listen to what it says. In beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's good, right? He says this is about Jesus. It's not about Isaiah. Isaiah is talking about someone who's to come, and he says, and that person is Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, and Philip and the the eunuch, uh, and he was baptized. And when they came up out of the water, the The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, this is an amazing story. First of all, you look at the providence of God and how God orchestrated all these things to happen. But secondly, notice what uh, Philip does with the prophets, with the Bible. He says it's all about Jesus. And from that proclamation, this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, would be saved. God has this plan. The gospel would go to the nations. Who becomes a believer outside of the cities? An Ethiopian eunuch. Where can he go? He can go back to Ethiopia and share the gospel. And so this is an amazing proclamation that begins with the prophets. And Philip says the prophets are about Jesus. And this is a theme that you see with the apostles when they talk about the Old Testament. When they talk about the prophets, they talk about the prophets saying they exist to set the stage for the coming Christ. I'll even use another example. Look at the life of Peter. You look at Peter and you see his very first sermon ever preached when Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit falls upon the church and the people begin to believe the gospel. You see uh, Peter gets up and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He preaches his very first sermon. And in his very first sermon, as people are sitting there and they're struggling to believe what Peter is saying, they're struggling to believe that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah, that Jesus Christ really did die, and that Jesus Christ really did resurrect. Peter corrects this issue in Acts 3, in verse 17. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of, what does he say? All the what? prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He says, repent, therefore. So because of this truth, he says, repent and turn back that your sins might be blotted out, that the time of refreshing uh, may come in the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth, again, he says it, of his holy prophets long ago. He's saying, we know this is true because the prophet said it was true, and he's saying that, that God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that Christ would come, and he's saying, and that's why we're standing here today. That's how we belong here today. So don't miss this. Peter is saying that Christ fulfilled all the prophecies of old, 350 prophecies, 
in the Old Testament about the coming of Christ. And Peter, in his very first sermon, says, you're acting in ignorance. This has been talked about for centuries that Christ would come. 350 prophecies about Christ to come. He's saying, now that we've seen that he's here, this is what it means. It's fulfilled. Christ has come. Acts 10, verse 43. Peter says it again. To him, all the prophets... All the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So who bears witness that Christ would come? He says, all the prophets. And so this idea, a theme in in Peter's ministry, became something that he talked about. It became something that he wrote about. All the prophets point to Jesus. You even see Peter as he writes to his... um, mixed audience of Gentiles and Jews uh, when he writes in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to people who are suffering and they're wondering as they're living their life, you got to remember these people did not have the New Testament. And so they're reading the Old Testament going, what's the point? Why should I read this? Peter writes in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 10, he says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter, as he writes to the suffering group of believers who mostly were non-Jews, they're asking, why should we read the Old Testament? He goes, because the Old Testament attests to Christ. This is why the prophets of old, they searched and they inquired and they prayed and they relied on the Holy Spirit to, to show them what was to come. He's saying, this is why, because Christ came to fulfill it. This became a part of Peter's ministry to show how the Old Testament relates to the New and how the Old Testament shows the coming Messiah. And he wants his readers and his hearers to to read the Old Testament and say, this is what it's about. It's to help me see Christ more beautifully. Now you're looking this morning and you're studying the scripture and maybe you struggle to believe. Maybe you have doubts. And that's okay. We're glad that you're here this morning. Peter was actually a man who doubted this more than probably anyone in this room. Peter was a man who walked with Christ, and he saw Jesus do miracles right before his eyes. He saw Jesus turn water to wine. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus heal and cause the blind to see. And yet, when Jesus would say things like, hey, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect three days later, Peter would say, no, you're not. Peter would get angry. At one point in Matthew's gospel, it actually says Peter rebuked Jesus. Bad, bad idea, right? Don't rebuke Jesus. Rebuke Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I identify so much with Peter because of how quick he speaks without thinking like, I, I know he's a redhead. He's got to be, right? He gets so angry sometimes at Jesus that Jesus is saying, no, I'm, this is part of the plan. This has been written about before. I'm the fulfillment of this promise. He's like, no, you're not. This is not going to happen. You're supposed to come and overthrow Rome. 
You're supposed to make our lives easier. This isn't, this isn't why you've come. Do another miracle for us. Don't, don't die. That's not a part of the plan. Jesus is like, no, it's a part of the plan. It's consistently been talked about over and over again. He doesn't believe. Uh, even the very end, Jesus, Peter denies Jesus. says, I don't even know if I know who that is. This man's supposed to come and die. I don't believe that. Later on, you see uh, uh, Jesus is being carried away by Roman guards. What does Peter do? Well, he's a hothead. He pulls out a sword and cuts out the guy's ear. He doesn't want it to happen. Over and over again, Peter shows this unbelief that this can't be the Christ. This can't be the purpose. This can't be the reason. Even it wasn't until the very moment that Peter saw the risen Lord. And as he saw Christ after he had been betrayed, tortured, crucified, three days later resurrected, Peter and the disciples, are, they see Jesus and they're all in doubt that this could be true, that Christ had died and that he had risen from the grave. But I want you to see what Jesus says. I want you to see what Jesus says to show them how silly it is that they don't believe. Luke 24, 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, O foolish disciples, slow of heart to believe. What does he say next? Believe what? All that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then Luke says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, what does Jesus do? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So I want you to see, this is Peter doubting, doubting this story is true. Jesus saying, hey, the reason why you doubt is because you didn't hear what the prophet said. The prophets all spoke about me. They said this would happen. Later on, you even see in Luke 24, Luke 24, 44, Jesus affirms this by saying, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I want you to see what Jesus said here. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all these prophets. People that say Jesus never claimed to be God have never read this clearly. He's saying, I'm the reason why the prophets exist. I'm the reason why the prophets spoke. And this is why Peter moved from being a, a doubter to one who is a believer, who, who communicated and made his whole ministry based on the truth that Jesus is the fulfillment of all scriptures. And this is massive, Peter's understanding of scripture, because it should be our understanding of scripture. Many times when people talk about scripture, and they try to identify, what is the Bible? I've been in small groups before where that question's been asked. Like, what is the Bible? And I'm always amazed at what people will say. They'll say things really well-intended. But like, okay, the Bible, they, I've heard the acrostic, right? B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? You know? Or it's a roadmap to life. Or it's your war manual. Or it's your, it's your guide to make the, the, you know, it will answer all of life's questions, it won't answer all of life's questions, first of all, okay? Like, it never told me who to marry. Like, it has the word Jesse in it, but that's about a tribe and, and a dude. I, I mean, right? I married Jess. I married Jess because I thought she was beautiful and she loved Jesus and the end, right? 
Bible didn't tell me that. The Bible didn't tell me how many kids to have. The Bible didn't tell me where to live. The Bible didn't tell me uh, what job to take. So what does the Bible do? Is it a roadmap to life? It's got maps in it, right? But is it about making decisions? Is it about doing the right? Well, there's, there's law in the Bible. Sure, absolutely. But what is the main purpose of the Bible? The main purpose of the Bible is to show us Christ. That's the main purpose of the Bible. The main purpose of the Bible is to show off the person and work of Christ. The main purpose of the Old Testament, the main purpose of the prophets, the main purpose of Moses, the main purpose of the Psalms. Jesus said it's about him. All of it is so that we would marvel at Christ. And from that, yes, we would love Christ and he would give us a new heart and he would give us a new life. And yes, we would make decisions that would honor him. We would want to obey him. We would want to serve him. We would want to sacrificially live our lives for him because of what the Bible says about him. All the prophets, uh, all of what Moses wrote, all of the Psalms, Jesus says, they're about me. And so when you read it on this side of the story, you look back like you're going into a museum and you're seeing, look at all these things that God has put in place for Christ to come and for me to be here and for me to love him more. I'm excited about that. Are you excited about that this morning? Amen. Because this, is, this should help shape the way we see the scriptures. The scriptures should come to life for us because we read the law and we read the prophets and without Christ, it's dead. It's empty words without Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all of what the prophets spoke. Adrian Rogers is perhaps one of my favorite preachers of all time. Adrian Rogers, is a, uh, he, he passed away some years ago and I heard him put together as a bit he called a, a portrait of Christ. And in it, he's basically showing how Jesus shows up in, in nearly every book of the Old Testament. And so he begins in Genesis 3.15, how he began the series. But he says, Christ is the seed of the woman. And in Genesis 3.15, we are told that he will one day crush Satan. He goes on, he says, in Exodus, we find the story of the Passover lamb. The Christ is the sacrificial lamb given to us. In Leviticus, we read of the high priest making sacrifices for his people, and Christ has become our high priest, making the perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. He goes on, he says, in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy Moses prophesied of a prophet who would come that would be greater than himself. He says, Jesus is that great prophet. In Joshua, Joshua met the captain of the Lord's host. Uh, that man is Jesus Christ. In Judges, the, the leaders were judged who delivered God's people, each of them typifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz, the kingsman who redeemed Ruth's inheritance, is a picture of Christ. David, the anointed one, pictures Jesus, and Jesus is described as the son of David. In 2 Samuel, when the king is being enthroned, the entire scene is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. The books of Kings, they seek the glory of God filling the temple, and the chronicles, uh, the chronicles describe the glorious king, uh, coming king, both referring to Jesus as as the king of kings. Ezra depicts Jesus as the Lord of our fathers. Job clearly uh, says clearly that the Redeemer is coming. Esther offers a picture of Christ interceding for his people. Christ appears time after time in the Psalms, 
including when David describes him as the shepherd. Isaiah details his glorious birth. Jeremiah reveals that he will be acquainted with sorrows. Joel describes him as the hope as the hope of all his people. Amos tells us that Jesus is the judge of all nations. Obadiah warns of the coming eternal kingdom. Jonah offers a picture of Jesus being dead for three days, then coming back to life to preach repentance. Zephaniah says that he will be the king over Israel. Zechariah is a prophet who speaks of Jesus riding on a colt. Malachi is the one who calls him the son of righteousness. And Adrian Rogers goes on to say the entire Old Testament points toward Jesus as Savior. And if you've missed that, he says, you've missed the entire point of the scriptures. Jesus is the Messiah in the fulfillment of prophecy. That's good news, church. So let me tell you why this is so significant. Well, the appreciation of looking at the old, at the prophets, it shouldn't be that God is just a good guesser or that God has just planned all things out. Now, we know those to be true. We know that God has planned all things out for Christ to come. And he's done so according to his perfect sovereign will. However, one of the things that I want us to marvel at is the fact that we should pause and see that we are a part of this fulfillment. I mean, think about it. What was it that Jesus gained when he came to the earth as a baby, when he lived his life as a servant, and when he died on the cross for our sins? What was it that he gained? Did he gain the Father's approval? Well, no, he's, he's always had the Father's approval. Did he gain divinity? No, we see in God's word, we see it in John chapter one, we see it in Colossians chapter one, Jesus has always been and he's always been God. So we see, we ask the question, what is it that he gained? What he gained was you and me. What he gained was that he came to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross so that we would be a part of the story. He gained us. He gained us. And so as we look at the old covenant and we look at these old stories, and we see this is what God did to send Christ. This is, we are a part of this fulfillment. This is what God did in order that we might be saved. And so there's a few things I would like us to consider this morning. What a wonderful time for us to stop and pause and reflect on all that God has done. And one of the ways that we can do that is read and study the prophets and what they said about the Christ that's to come. And what I, wanted, what I encourage you to do this, this morning, what I encourage you to do specifically in this season, as we get into all the planning of what we need to do with our families and who, where are we going to go for Christmas Eve and where are we going to go for Christmas? Well, hopefully Christmas Eve you'll be here at our worship service. Um, but what, what are you going to do for Christmas Day and then what are you going to do the day after and what are you going to do for New Year's? You begin to think and you get into and then you're, you're fighting with your spouse. You're trying to control your, your kids because they're just out of control, wondering when Christmas is coming. Wondering, what are they going to get? They're asking you a trillion questions and, and you're, you're living your life sort of in this tense moment and we forget uh, what this season is all about. So my, my challenge to you is, what if you paused and you just read God's word about 
the Messiah that is to come. And it would be like you entering into a museum, a vault, and saying, man, these are all the things that God did to show that he loves me. This is all that God did to show that I'm a part, I'm a fulfillment of this amazing story that I shouldn't belong in. We live in an age right now where it's really easy to read the Bible. We have more study Bibles in our language than we can even imagine. Uh, we have an ESV study Bible. We've got an NIV. There's a Zondervan NIV study Bible. It's one of the best I've ever, like the pictures and the maps and the explanation, they're incredible. We have apps. You've got She Reads Truth. Right, ladies? He Reads Truth. They're beautifully drawn up and graphically appealing so that we're not, or my ADD is not distracted, right? We have streetlights. Like if you like hip-hop, you can listen to God's word almost like it's hip-hop with, with a killer beat in the background. You've got Dwell. It's an awesome app. You, you actually can choose the language, the, the type, the, the accent that you get to hear the Bible in. Some, somewhat like you choose on your iPhone when on Google Maps of who tells you directions. Yeah, this has that, but you can also choose a back, background music that would go along with it. So if you like banjos in the background of listening to the Psalms or ambient music or hip-hop with an English accent of a lady, you can choose it all right there in your car. And so it's all here, in front of us, every day, so that you could listen and hear and absorb and taste the Word of God. To, to do what? To appreciate and to marvel at this story that you happen to belong in, that none of us should have belonged in. But Christ, through his love, and through his grace, and through his mercy, raised up prophets of old that would say, hey, this is what's coming. This is what's going to happen. This Messiah would come, and he would be born of a virgin. He would live a perfect life. He would be a sheep that would, that would be like a slaughter. He would be hard to look at by us and our human standards, but he would bleed and die for us, and he would resurrect from the grave three days later and he would give us all hope that we can be a part of this story we can be a part of his family and all of these things that happened before allow us to marvel at this story that we get to be a part of so my challenge for you would you look at scripture through the lenses of this story would you look at scripture through the lenses of the gospel that all scripture points to the person and work of Christ. And would you believe that when you read it this way, it causes you to be a better worshiper of Jesus? And so my challenge for you this morning, church, might we take the time during this season to pause, to slow down, to study, to appreciate all that Christ has done. God help us.